Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as usual, we'll say, is uh, Corey Christen, the beat writer for Pitt Athletics and the Pittsburgh Steelers over at DK Pittsburgh Sports. How are you, brother? Doing well, Gary. It's uh, good to be back with you. Obviously, the schedules have changed over the last couple of weeks. For those wondering, where the Wednesday show go? Well, that's just in-season adjustment. You know, we, we roll with the punches as they come. It's a little bit more consistent to do it on Saturdays now, especially with football winding down. Um, and obviously, my, my stuff with the Steelers going, um, you know, as it goes. So, um, obviously, I did the show solo last week from New York. It was a little just easier to do it right after the game and, you know, do all that from New York. But uh, on, a, on a Saturday where Pitt is coming off a football win on a Thursday, uh, we get to we get to come back together in the usual setting. So good to be back, Gary. Uh, we'll obviously chop up some Pitt basketball as you were at the game against Jacksonville on Friday. Yeah. But uh, the big the big news, as you see it from the title of the show, is is Nate Yarnell and what he was able to do Thursday. Yeah, let's let's dig into it, Corey, because first I think they, they, they kept this rel- relatively close to the chest, what they were going to do, you know, this week. And I think we had a feeling that there might be a change coming and, and we might see that. At least we kind of got the impression that you were going to see both of them potentially mm-hmm. in this in this game if things didn't go great, you know. But Nate now gets the start. He looked strong. I mean – 11 of 19, 207 yards, one touchdown. Okay. They're pretty pedestrian numbers. Let's not get super excited, right? Right. But if you watch this game, he looked in control. He didn't look like he was forcing the ball. Arm strength looked mighty, mighty compelling, did it not? I mean, he was putting the ball down the field with oomph. It wasn't floating down there. It was getting down there. There was a lot to like. I didn't necessarily think I'd see that, Corey. Mm -hmm. I think he threw it with a confidence, too. Like, if somebody was there, he trusted that the player would be there, the receiver would be there, and that there would be a play to be made. And I think, and I'm not going to say Christian Veyer or Phil Dracovic didn't trust their receivers, but I think that Nate threw it with such a confidence that Carter Johnson would be in his spot or Bob means would be in his spot yeah. or Kanate Mumfield would be in his spot. And that's predetermined. That's not, um, that's not a, really a product of anything else other than Nate being Nate. And this is the second time in two seasons, obviously with the Western Michigan game last year, a little bit different of a feel because Izzy Abanacanda was, was literally given the ball to win the game. Yeah. But this year's a little bit different. You don't have an Izzy. Now, he did get great support from Rodney Hammond. Unbelievable game for Rodney. His best of the year. His best he's looked all season. Let me interrupt real quick before you go off and just dissect the whole game. No, sure. Rodney Hammond. Is it a chicken and the egg situation where the way he ran allowed Nate Yarnell to, to look so comfortable? Or did Nate Yarnell looking so comfortable open the run game which did you see it as because i i have an opinion on this and i want to see what yours is i think that synergy uh, at its finest and we haven't seen anything like that from Pitt this year but i'll argue it was nate that opened up the run game for rodney 
where it usually is the, the running game opening things for Nate. And I think that's dictated by the start of the game. I think that's dictated by the first few series of the game. Pitt scores on their first two possessions, a field goal and a touchdown. Yeah, And I think that's Nate opening up the opportunities and, and setting the defense back, so to speak, for Rodney to be able to run the ball. And sure. Rodney got more opportunities in this than Sebo did. And you've heard Pat Narduzzi this season. He loves Sebo Flemister. He made him a captain this year. But Rodney, for, for how banged up he was at the start of the season, really was tough to get him going, at least in the first half of the season. And I think in this game, you saw Nate and his confidence and how he was able to push the ball down the field. And that's the key thing here, down the field. This wasn't dink and dunk and chip away at Boston College. This was Nate Yarnell not being afraid to sling it, trusting the wide receivers to get in their spots. And quite frankly, Receivers did a good job of getting open. And I think all of that was able to push Rodney Hammond and late in the game, they were able to give it to him. Obviously the breakaway 60 plus yard touchdown run was a big thing. I mean, you saw him hit the hole. He he shed one tackle and he's gone. Like people are going to look at this outcome. They're going to see the six and five Boston college Eagles beaten by the three and eight Pittsburgh Panthers. And they're going to think, okay, we can really judge Nate Yarnell here because that was that was a, a quality opponent. And and I'll I'll say this. I don't think any of us expected Boston College to be six and five right now. So credit to them for winning five and rare to get here, right? Right. And and put themselves bowl eligible. Good for them for real. Because mm-hmm. nobody expected that. Mm-hmm. Second, their secondary is depleted right now. And it got worse after a targeting penalty. Oh, that was as targeting as but targeting gets. But it was as gets. targeting as targeting gets, yes. Yeah. But but after that, their secondary was non-existent. You're talking they were playing third stringers. Right. So I guess I don't want to get too sky high here. But I just think I, I that's why I focus on the arm strength and getting the ball there and making good decisions. And I liked what I saw there. So with Christian did what he did against Louisville and upsetting Louisville, which it's wild to me that Louisville's ranked 10th in the country and that lone loss looming is Pitt. Um, it, like we had the similar Honestly, feeling. How many times Christian. has Pitt been that fly oh, in the yeah. ointment though? Oh <laughs> like, yeah. That's, oh, that's yeah. putting our doozy specialty. Yeah. We said the same thing about Christian after that game, didn't we? Like, this is the guy let's build upon this. Let, let's make sure. And then, the last four games, Christian just mightily struggled, and the number one thing was turning the football over. Case in point, three turnovers against Syracuse, the interception returned for a touchdown where he stared down Kenny Johnson, and a freshman DB didn't have to make a tough play. Right. And then the two fumbles on the handoffs, that were Christian's fault. Nate Arnell protected the football, and that's the one thing Pat Narduzzi emphasized after the game as to why Nate Yarnell was turned to in this game was the ability to take care of the football. Now, if you read my story after the game, I think this is a bigger deal from a Frank Signetti standpoint because Nate is a Pat Narduzzi guy. He was recruited here by Pat Narduzzi. He is the longest tenured, believe it or not, quarterback on this roster right now. Nate Yarnell is a redshirt sophomore. Jerkovic and Veyer were brought in by Frank Signetti. Dracovic, obviously a different circumstance, brought in to compete with Keaton. That's on record by Frank saying that they brought Phil in to compete with Keaton. Keaton didn't want it and he left. 
So they turned to Christian to try to jumpstart the future, right? And he struggled. So you bring in Nate as a result of taking care of the football. But that I think there's a way larger big picture implication that I want to get into in our in our second segment here. All right, so let's take a quick break and do that. Back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. We just broke down the Boston College game where, where Pitt took them down, which was probably the best game they've played this year, I'd say, Corey. So the quarterback controversy, if you want to call it that, moving forward, because I'd like to know what happens with Christian Vayer. Um and also, Frank Signetti may be on the hot seat. You're right. But this also was his offense that Nate Arnell was running and making look good. So maybe he's just not a good talent evaluator. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is still, by the statistics, the worst scoring offense and the worst total offense in the ACC. Okay, two years removed from a Heisman Trophy candidate with a new offensive coordinator that has worked in the NFL. Well, bonus, it looked like it too, so. (laughs) Right. So the tea leaves to me go back to Narduzzi, essentially, I want to call it an override in some ways because Narduzzi said it was a staff decision to put in Nate Yarnell over Christian Vayer in this game against Boston College. Which is a distinction from the last QB decision, which he very much so said was Frank Signetti's to make. Put it on Signetti. And he has said, Pat Narduzzi has said, he spends 80% of the time in the defensive side of the room and he leaves those decisions to Frank Signetti. Now he's saying Nate Yarnell was a staff decision, which means Pat Narduzzi was involved in this. That's just reading into it. And and there was a report pregame from the Post-Gazette that Nate was going to start and that this was a Narduzzi call. So again, that to me spells bad news for Frank Signetti that Narduzzi had enough. Enough was enough was enough, right? With Phil, obviously, earlier in the year, and and that sounded like a Signetti decision to put Christian in. This sounds to me like a Narduzzi decision, and it's not because of the report and validating a report. This is just looking at the evidence, listening to what Pat Narduzzi said after the game. And Pat Narduzzi... Since last year, that Western Michigan game has backed Nate Yarnell all the way, all the way. Nate Yarnell ran scout cards before that Western Michigan game. Remember, that was the Tennessee game. Narduzzi's like, he was Hendon Hooker a week ago. Now, this week, Nate obviously was a scout quarterback, but he gets the green light immediately on Sunday. Keep in mind, this was a short week. This was a short week to prepare for Boston College from Sunday to Wednesday. Yeah, right. Right. Pat said on Monday that that was their Wednesday, right? So immediately upon arriving from New York after the Syracuse loss, Pat made the call and said, we're preparing Christian. He's or we're preparing Nate. Nate got first team snaps all week. There was a definitive call made on Sunday immediately after the Syracuse game. That to me, again, 
screams Pat Narduzzi that there wasn't much of a internal discussion. There wasn't much of a meeting, yeah. so to speak, about what he it. calls a staff decision was he walked in, slammed his fist down and said, this is what it is. Nate's and- playing quarterback. Get him ready. Right. Yeah. And and it's just reading the evidence. This isn't me like being an insider trying to trying to we go. Know, we're stretching, we're the, stretching the boundaries of journalism here. We're we're talking a little bit. Well, somewhat, but also again, I, I don't want I'm not trying to fabricate anything either. And I don't think I am. I think this is just any common sense looking at the evidence. Yeah. So that being said It's not a sideline report. Calm down. Oh my goodness. We could do a whole <laughs> show on that. But Pat basically said Nate's going to start against Duke, right? Yeah. Like he, he said without saying it that Nate's going to start against Duke, which to me is a committal at least to figuring out if Nate Yarnell has something. He passed his first test. Now, if Nate goes into the Duke game on, uh, on Saturday of next week and does well or does about the same thing that he does, then we can definitively say they have to take this offseason to give Nate a chance. Yeah, I, I would have to agree, but they got to probably bring somebody else in too, right? And and is Christian Bayer still in play? Like, is there, or is he tied to Signetti so much that if they moved on from him as an OC, he's going to go too? See, that's the, that's the catch-22 here. Because if Frank Signetti's fired in the offseason, which, look, when you have the worst offense in the A, literally, and that was a year where the offense would with the for quarterback with Keats have to look at the OC. I'm not the guy like loud like that, but I think it's reasonable to say that Frank Signetti has to be take, taken a look at over the offseason and whether Pitt brings him back or not. Now, if he does not come back, does Christian leave? And and take a, and take a year out because again he transferred already. He uses one time transfer coming from Penn State, or does he stick around and battle it out for next year? You would think. Well, I guess the other question year, is, what does the recruitment board look like? What do, what do they have coming in? What else is there? I mean, mm-hmm. I it feels to me like you you'd almost have to be looking for another transfer just to have a quote unquote veteran backup if you yeah, wanted to go in the next season with Yarnow. See, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because next year, Christian and Nate will both be redshirt juniors. Then you have Ty Diefenbach, who will be a redshirt freshman. He's redshirting this year. And you'll have Julian Duggar coming in, the local kid, who they're pretty high on. Now, if Signetti is fired, does Duggar decommit, number one? Number two, does Diefenbach transfer? These are all the domino effects. Number two, does Diefenbach transfer? Because was that a Pat guy or a Signetti guy? Number three, I think Yarnell would stay. And I think Christian, unless he wants to sit out a year or try to get a waiver, right? Because he already used one-time transfer. I think Christian might stay. So next year, it's possible to have Nate and Christian with the new offensive coordinator. Now, does that affect Diefenbach or Duggar? We'll see. But if Diefenbach leaves or if Duggar decommits, then you might have to bring in another veteran. But at this point, look, they failed on two transfer quarterbacks when it comes to Keaton and Phil. Do you do it again? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. 
Do they do yeah. it again, or if do I they did it, it would be for, if I did it, it would be for depth, not for sure. You know, this I would probably be, be trying to take somebody's like uh, Division Two school QB or a group of five. Or yeah, a group of five, like you'd have to go like to the Mac or sure. you know the WAC or or one of those group of five schools to bring in a veteran. But again, would a veteran that has played at a group of five come back just start, to sit yeah. the bench at Pitt? They would want to start. Yeah. So you're kind of in this quabble now of Christian. Not, I don't think Nate leaves at this point. I think not you, now because he got a shot now. Sure. I don't think Nate leaves. You have this quabble of does Christian bolt? Does Julian D commit? Does Ty bolt? And right. you kind of have to play it from there. This is all contingent on Frank Signetti staying on the staff or not. And, and again, it's reasonable to think that he's at least on the hot seat just you because know, of performance over the last two years. What this is telling me is you and I have to do a complete roster show after the season ends where we really, really talk about how we see some things shaking out, like in and outs, you know? Sure. That's, that could be interesting. Maybe before basketball season really heats up, but we do have a little bit of basketball to talk about later. I'd like to finish up with football one more thing. Senior night. Yeah. Uh, was also the Boston College game. Um any notable senior performances? Any of these seniors eligible for that super senior thing? And are they leaning one way or another that you know of? Sure. So all of the seniors who are out of eligibility walked for senior night. So that's important to note. Uh, five seniors who have one more year left did not walk. Bub Means, MJ Devonshire, Josh Junko, Brandon George, Mack and Salvis. Now, as of now, it's tough to say if Gonsalves is an NFL prospect because of his injury. And it's not impossible to think that he would want to come back for that bonus year to put some more tape on, so to speak. Means, I feel like, comes back. Junko, I think, comes back. George, I almost have a feeling he comes back. Now, Deion Hayes has said he's coming back, even though he walked. Deion Hayes said he's coming back. He said that after the game. The one to me is MJ Devonshire. And this is going to come down to the advice he gets over the offseason from an agent. This is going to come down to senior bowl stuff. This is going to come down to does he want to commit to the NFL draft process? Does he feel like he could commit to the NFL draft process? And I would argue that it would benefit him to come back one more year if that's the route he wants to take. I I, I think it would too, Corey. I, I think that's where I lean. Yeah. Now, nine seniors did not walk for senior night. Um, notably to me, Ryan Jacoby, DeAndre Jules, and Bengali Kamara. So if they did not walk, I would say that they are leaning on coming back. That's just thinking of that through. Um, Daniel Carter, Carter Johnson, Jason Collier, Bam Brima, Nate Temple also involved in that. So Remains to be seen if they come back as well. But to me, and Dayon said he's already coming back, but to me, the two big ones are Ryan Jacoby and Bengali Kamara. Now, Jacoby was injured all this year, so you might think, again, he wants to come back and actually play sure, right. next year. So the offensive line, that's implications to the offensive line because Cradle's gone and Zabovic's gone. So 
an offensive line next year could look something like Gonsalves, Terrence Moore, uh, Jacoby, and then BJ Williams, and then Brian Bear. So all five returning, all five offensive linemen could be returning. There's a lot of that turnover on the defensive line too that could come through. So that's that's an interesting storyline to follow for me. All right. Hey, pretty cool stuff. Um, all in all, nice to get the win. Um, nice to see a change actually trigger a few things. Um, I don't think just a quarterback change changed the offense that much. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some other things Signetti was starting to get overrolled on, like maybe play calls. What do you think? I'm not so sure. And I'm trying to think of who would take those over just from, you know, a sheer coaching standpoint. It's I'm more thinking like the situational play by play, like I want to throw here, you some know, those, like some of those saying know. from Narduzzi. Hey, yeah, I think it's possible. Like, I think you saw Pitt do some different stuff in this game. That's what I mean. It, it yeah. didn't look like what we've watched. That's why I, sometimes just, executing can can look different so mm-hmm. you know it, as a fan it's hard to tell i can't take in the whole field when i'm watching it so you know you don't know what's going on and i'm not going to sit here and tell you i'm one of these all 22 guys i'm not right so i guess i was asking what you thought you saw there but it's hard to say it is it is at this stage and again the off season is going to tell us so much about this program all right, good stuff. Let's take another break. Let's come back. Let's do some pit hoops because I was there yesterday and man, was it a blast. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And yesterday I took my kid to, uh, I say kid, but he's, you know, in his point. But I took my kid to the um, the pit uh, game yesterday against the Jacksonville Dolphins. And I was kind of expecting a little bit more of a, a push at the beginning of the game because Jacksonville has some bigs and, and they have some scorers that I actually thought it would it would be kind of a decent test maybe a little bit. Right. And the boy, it was not. <laughs> Pitt just boat raced them 107 to 56, and it wasn't even that close. Uh, it really wasn't. There was a point where Pitt just decided they were going to stop trying to play defense. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, it, good to see. Pitt, Pitt looks so much better than I was thinking they would, though, Corey. That's really the story. Not this game. This team. They really might be eight deep, I think, as far as like players you feel good about playing. Nine, I think you can get away with. Ten's sure. a stretch. Sure. Right? Yeah. But the, they, they, they even got playing time for Marshall yesterday, and he looked okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, you, all the way through the depth chart, not bad. This Missouri game is going to be fascinating. It's going to be a really good game. Yeah. To, to me, the story right now is Bub Carrington. And oh, just yes. as, as a true freshman, obviously the triple-double to start the season, uh, 17 points, 
in this game against Jacksonville was was it's just been instant impact type stuff with the with the basketball. And there was one NBA draft outlet that went as far to project him to go fourth overall in this year's in next year's NBA draft. Corey, like that's how to, highly people are thinking of him. I have to tell you, I I was there yesterday with my kid, and I, we're sitting there in, in the stands, and just the fan in me. Okay, just take all the stats out of it. That kid looks different, mm-hmm. and I did. I don't think I noticed it on TV. I just I, I had to be there and see it. Like, he looks different. He looks in control. He looks like he knows what he's doing without thinking about doing it. That, there's just something about that kid. And if he's special, if he's that kind of special, all the projections are out the window. Because yep. there ain't a single person that even had him as a rock-solid starter. Mm-hmm. Including us. Yeah. Including us, Jalen Lowe. Know to shoot and, and trust his shot. Oh, my God. Everything else is there. Yeah. The vision, the athleticism, yeah. it, did he, you could tell he looks longer in yep. person than he does. on. I think I said that last the last time we talked. He's longer and he has fearless vision, fearless, not afraid to let it fly from deep, not afraid to pass it, not afraid to make a mistake. Sometimes these freshmen come in, they're wide eyed, right? Yeah. They, they, they make mistakes like that. And Carrington, to me, has been cool as a cucumber you know, what's the cliche wise beyond his years. That's the kind of player I think Jeff Capel has here with this freshman. And it's a trickle down effect. Henson has been excellent. The twins to me have really stepped up, really stepped yeah. up. Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo played a great was crazy game. yesterday. Guillermo played a great game. I think it was 20 plus points for him. Yep. I, I, I mean, and Jorge's looked really good too. Yeah. Jorge to me, to the me twins together. The chemistry is off the charts, as you would oh, yeah. expect. Oh, yeah. But every game, they have a couple design twin plays that, that they do. Mm-hmm. And they, they got one yesterday for a dunk, and it just set what the, the few people that were there. <laughs> it set the building off. You know, it was, it was just yeah. great to see. Zach Austin has impressed me. At, oh, my gosh. His defense and athleticism and Will Jeffress' defense. Will Jeffress' defense, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is um, this is a good sign. You could look at this and say it's quote unquote just Jacksonville, and it was just Florida Gulf Coast, and you could you could qualify what you want. We got Alan here saying tournament fringe team. Oh, it's so early for me, Alan. But yeah, it's early. how can I sit here and tell you that I legitimately think Carrington is that special potentially, and say anything other than. A guy like that would drag you into a tournament. Sure. Now it's it's fair to say this too, and I think we've said this along. You have to wait until the Missouri game. You have to wait until the Florida game. You have to wait until was it Baylor or Oregon State, whoever it is. Yeah. It, it, over there, and you have to wait to see the Clemson game. To me, Clemson is the first meaningful early test of this season. Right. And if Pitt can do. Anything like they've been doing over these first four games against Clemson, they're going to put themselves in real good position. It's it's a good thing that we're sitting here and not saying, okay, they need to, they need to figure it out. They need to, you know, get the cart back on the track, so to speak. They didn't lose any of these games, which you've seen a lot of these, you know, mid majors beating these, these, these power six schools 
And that's not the case with Pitt. They're putting opponents away. Florida Gulf Coast gave, gave them some trouble, but Pitt struggled to make their free throws in that game. And the interesting thing about that Florida Gulf Coast game to me was the hack of Federico situation that you saw late in the game. Yes. And and I'm worried, worried that teams are going to start exploiting that. To me, the only player that hasn't played really well is Federico. Yeah. And I think there's still a level for him to climb on. So look to Alan's question, tournament fringe team. That's what he asked in the YouTube chat. They have to develop into that still. I'm encouraged by what I've seen the first four games, but the real tests are still coming up. And But that being said, they're positioning themselves pretty well with this early season run that they're on. I would say I, I, one of the things I was going to bring up in this little talk was about Guillermo potentially supplanting Fetty here as a starting five doesn't mean Fetty's not going to play. It's just, right. I, I, I think you can see Guillermo kind of overtaking him and he, he's just a lot more athletic in there. And he is, he, he's more willing to score the basketball inside, take those little bunnies and, and Fetty especially seems to be the alley-oop. He's ready for those. He's really good at the rebounds, better, probably a better defender than Guillermo by, by a touch. But, like, you could see Guillermo supplanting him um, in, in that position. And then Jeff Capel, to his credit, well, he's tried damn near every combination you could of these players. He has – he works everything together. He went yep. smalls yesterday. Like, I think he had Hewitt, Marshall, Lowe, and um, – Carrington and Henson out there at one point. The small ball and lineup, Ish, yeah. Ish Leggett, we didn't even mention Ish Leggett yet. Ish Leggett great. looks like a leader. That's been great. Yeah. I mean, we said preseason, could he fill that Jamarius Burton role? And so far, he's looked at least a bit of a part of that. Now, back yeah. to your point about Guillermo versus Federico. This, to me, feels like almost like a Manu Ginobili situation for those winning San Antonio Spurs teams. Like, Ginobili was a starting caliber player, all-star starting caliber player. And I'm not saying Guillermo's like all ACC or anything, but the argument is, do you put Guillermo into the starting lineup to enhance that starting five, to enhance Carrington and, and Leggett and Hinson? However, I think the opposite could be said in a more direct way of Guillermo coming off the bench brings them something fresh and unique, and it's a different dynamic. And it's a it's a surefire thing. You know, you're bringing Guillermo and Jorge off the bench. You can have one guy in the paint. You can have one guy on on the wing or whatever it needs to be. And you can flip those two almost. Now, do you want to lose that dynamic for your reserves for those sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth men? I'm not so sure you want to go as far to do that. But but and I think Guillermo would agree with this. And I know Jeff Capel would agree with this, that if Guillermo's becoming a starting caliber player, then he's going to have a prominent role as sixth, seventh man coming off the bench and being a guy that they kind of focus, you know, they kind of focus the ball to and, and a guy that they can, you know, trust putting some bench minutes out there when Hinson's not on the floor, Federico's not on the floor, whoever it might be. Yeah. So I'd be careful with that. And that's just me. I'd be careful with that. It, I, I don't like I don't like the idea of not necessarily pinning him there either. Right, how I agree with that too. Get, how often do you get a seven footer that can pop a three too? 
You know, I mean, like, and he really can't. So like, it's kind of funny. He almost looks like he could reach it from there when he's yeah. standing. But yeah, like he's uh, it's interesting. One more thing um, before we go, and I know we're already over time. So thanks for being patient. Hey, that's okay. It feels to me like this lineup is setting up where if Jeff Cable wanted to, he could run out a very defensive unit, or he could run out a very offensive unit. Ooh, the defensive unit, like with with Federico. Think of it this way: Federico, Austin, Jeffress, those three alone. Yep. What more could you ask just from those three? And I think Carrington plays good defense, and Leggett plays good sure. defense. So you like, put that five out there, mm-hmm. like you say, you have a twenty point lead starting the third, the fourth quarter, the, you know, of the game. You want to put them out and lock down for five minutes, five ten minutes. I mean, that's a way to go mm-hmm. and, and something that a lot of teams can't counter. I or just even think it's in, interesting. Or even a situation, think back to the Miami game that was in pit last year where like Greg Elliott came through with the steal on the baseline mm-hmm. to, to kind of seal the game away. Like if you need something like that, you have multiple guys on this roster that you can trust to make a play like that. And I think that's yeah. a very important thing once ACC play comes around at the end of December. I can't wait. I'm so excited for this Missouri game. So oh, yeah. let's just end it on a high note. Pit Hoops was great like so far. Let's let's just enjoy it and hope it, hope it keeps that way. And, uh, it, and Carrington, I think, is worth getting excited about, though. Let's see. H2P, the way we always do it. <laughs>